listening to Sunday Sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Romans chapter 16. Uh, we are wrapping up Romans. How many of you enjoy Romans? It's been a long journey, but and it has taught me a lot, and uh, I hope it has you as well. I believe after today there's two more uh, messages left in Romans, so it's hard to believe we've come to the end of this journey. But today, uh, talking about the idea of living in an authentic Christian community, and as Pastor Ken said a few minutes ago, one of the things that I'm, I'll be stressing today is, is how does that, how's that played out? And uh, what we'll see in this passage is Paul, uh, he is greeting house churches in Rome. And uh, we today believe that as you read Acts, and it says they were meeting every day in the temples, that they were having a corporate worship. But also it says they were going from house to house. And we believe that that was the, really the, the, the value and the start of what we are going to call community groups. Uh, small groups, community groups, the word to be interchanged. We're trying to change it to community groups, but we've always called it small groups. So they're not two different things. They're the same. So I'll probably say both uh, today. And if I do, uh, I'm, I'm working on it. Adrian kind of keeps me straight in staff meetings at least. Uh, I'll say small groups. She's like, no, it's community groups. So I thank her for that. So if Adrian, if you're in here, you can yell at me if I say small groups this morning. Okay. Hey, Romans chapter 16, uh, verse 3 says this. And y'all pray for me. I'm going to try to pronounce these names the best I can. I was told at seminary, if you say it with confidence, the people in the crowd will never know. <laughs> Except for Pastor Ken, and he'll probably have to help me out. Uh, verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila. I have those two down. Uh, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risk their own necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Greet my beloved, here we go, Epionetus, who is the first fruits of the Achaia or Asia to Christ. Greet Mary, who labored much for us. Greet Andronicus and Lun her name's actually Lunius. Uh, I don't know why it's spelled that way. Uh, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. Grant Amplius, my beloved in the Lord, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, I think that's it, my beloved, uh, greet, I want to say apples, but I know that's not right. It's Apelius, uh, approved in, the, in Christ. Greet those who are the household of Aristobulus. I should just say Bubba and Bob and Jimmy and Joe. That would kind of relate more to us. Uh, greet Herodian, my countrymen. Greet those who are of the household of, of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphenia and Tryphosa. I don't know if that's right. Y'all forgive me. Maybe they'll correct me in heaven. Who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, who labored much in the Lord. Greet Rufus. I like old Rufus. He was chosen in the Lord. He's a good man. And his mother and mine. And here's a hard one. Greet Asenicritus, that's good enough. Uh, Phlegon, Hermas, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren who are with him. Wow. Greet, I don't know why I said I preached this passage. Greet Philog Philogus and Julia, Julia, she's here today. 
uh, Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Whew. I'm sweating. Greet one another with the holy kiss. The churches of Christ, of Christ greet you. We definitely need to pray after that. Uh, Father, we come to you, and God, thank you, uh, Lord, for all of these dear people. Uh, God, I thank you for uh, the people that if we were uh, writing this letter today, we would uh, write, greet the people in Warren Community Church, our brothers and sisters in Christ who have labored and are fellow workers. And uh, God, we're thankful for this account. God, we're so glad that you put it in Scripture. Uh, Lord, we know that all of your uh, Scripture is uh, God-breathed, so we know it has a purpose and we know that you say that your word will not return unto you void. So today, God, we're just asking you uh, to take this passage of Scripture. And Lord, you preach it to each and every one of us in the room. Uh, God, I thank you, uh, Lord, for what you are doing. Lord, in our midst and what you uh, are, will continue to do. Uh, God, as we seek your face, exalt your name, Lord, and spread your gospel. And so, God, we just ask you to be with us for a few minutes this morning. If God would give you all the praise in Jesus' name, amen. And just so you know, I probably will not say any of their names again, okay? We're going to refer to them as sister and brother. Uh, but here's a question. Have you ever seen an authentic um, Chinese restaurant ran by a guy named Patrick O'Malley? And you probably won't, right? Uh, I remember the first time I got a hold to some real authentic Hispanic food. I thought... Around here, they say authentic, but when I was in landscaping, I had some guys who brought me some real food one day, and I found out real quick that I didn't have a clue what real Mexican food was. Uh, what they had, it was, was strong, I'll just put it that way. And, uh, and so we, we know that, that sometimes we use the term authentic, but it's truly not authentic, right? I mean, Coke has made billions of dollars off of a slogan called the real thing claiming that they were the authentic cola. And, uh, and so the world seeks, the world is searching for authenticity. And the thing is, is why should we be less as believers? If Jesus Christ came, and we believe that according to Scripture, if Jesus, Jesus Christ died and was risen from the grave and is sitting at the right hand of the Father today, and he left us with this great commission to go and tell the world about who he is and the good news of the gospel. If he came to do that and went through all that he went through for that, shouldn't we at least be authentic in our walk? As believers, shouldn't we be authentic? Shouldn't we give the world, not the fake thing, not the Patrick O'Malley uh, version of Christianity, not the Tex-Mex version of Christianity, but the real thing? And that's what's going on here. I mean, Paul is greeting these people and he's saying, this is what it looks like to live in an authentic Christian community. This is what it looks like because he uses some words in here. If you uh, skip over the names and dig into what he's really calling them and what that means, they are living that kind of life. And society is looking, seeking, desperately, not a theory, not an opinion, but they're looking for somebody who will live authentically in front of them claiming what they believe. Our children deserve it. Our families deserve it. We deserve to live our lives, as Paul says, keep in step with me as I keep in step with Christ. 
So this morning, we're just going to kind of walk through what that looks like. And at the end, we're going to talk about how that can be played out at Warren Community Church. First thing is their relationships were founded on the gospel. Notice what he says. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. And he goes on and he calls them. He talks about them being his beloved and all those good things. First John 1 John 1.3 says this, that which we have seen and heard. They have seen Jesus, they had heard Jesus, they declared it to the people around them that you also may have what fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The first century church was all about fellowship. They were all about coming together. And the way they came together was not through anything other than the gospel. Notice the terms, the words he uses. He refers to this group of people he's talking about here as sisters, brothers, servants, saints, fellow workers, the church, first fruits, kinsmen, fellow prisoners, beloved and approved in Christ. All of this is a result of the gospel. These people would not even be in connection with each other had it not been for the gospel of Jesus Christ bringing them together through salvation. And what we have to understand, what we have to learn to live like, is that the gospel is not only the good news that transforms lives, the gospel centers around the family that God has ordained. So it's not just your life being transformed, because if that was the case, I said it a few weeks ago, God would just take you from the moment you accept him, you repent, you turn from your sins, you believe that he died on the cross, and you accept him into your heart. He would take you then straight to heaven. What he does is he leaves us here and he puts us in a family that he has ordained. I know I said this a few weeks ago, but look around the room. You are sitting in the room with people who you would never consider family. But now, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are connected in a much deeper way than even blood relation. Look around the room. You are sitting in the room with your eternal family. Sad part is, some of our blood relatives may not make it to heaven. We hope they do. We're going to share the gospel with them and pray that the Lord will work in their hearts. But sitting in this room today is a bunch of people who are saved, bought by the blood of Jesus, that you will never be separated from one another for all of eternity. And that was God-ordained. It's a relationship that is founded on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. A relationship that was entered in by the faith of Jesus not by joining an organization, but by coming into a relationship with Jesus. Now, I want you to flip your Bibles over to Acts 13 with me. I want to show you how this has really played out uh, in, in the church of Antioch. And this is a, an interesting passage. That This is one of those that we take very little time to pay attention to. But I want to read 13.1. This is the church of Antioch that Paul founded I want you to listen to the list of leaders in this church. And we'll talk about where they're from. Uh, now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now if you just read that, you don't think much about it. 
But if you dive into those guys' names and their backgrounds, then you'll begin to see God working in a pretty special way. Barnabas. Barnabas, his name means encourager. He was a builder. He was one who would come by you. And we said this last night, everybody needs a Barnabas in their life. Everybody needs somebody who will come by and encourage them and build them up uh, for the glory of God. And, and he, though, was a Hellenistic Jew. Okay? Uh, Simeon called Niger. Uh, he, according to historical accounts, and every commentary I've ever read, reads and says that he was a black man. So you have a Hellenistic Jew, and you have a black man. Lucius of Cyrene. It gets really crazy in a minute. Uh, he was an African male, okay? Manian, who they called Manny, was a Palestinian, hold on to this one, Herodian Greek. His best friend, his lifelong friend, according to Acts 13.1, was Herod the Tetrarch. Now, that doesn't sound like much you know who he is. His lifelong friend was Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the guy who uh, married his stepbrother's ex-wife. And one night in a drunken rage, his, his, his wife's daughter came in and claimed that she wanted John the Baptist's head on a platter. And he goes and has John the Baptist beheaded. And he was not known to be a very kind man. And his best friend was in this church. And then you have Saul of Tarsus. Nobody liked him. He's still fresh on the scene. And all he was known for was killing people and having them arrested and taking them to prison. He was known to persecute the church. And this is a group of people that God put together through the gospel of Jesus Christ. People who would have been taught their entire lives to despise one another, not to even walk in the same direction, not to even sit in a room together. They would have had a deep hatred for one another. And then who's going to let Manny in? I mean, your best friend killed one of the main leaders of the gospel. But he's a leader in the church. This is it amazing that the gospel tears down the cultural walls, the social walls, the racial walls, and he creates in himself one body. We are once were separated, but now all across this room, we're one in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what your background was. It doesn't matter what social class you come from. It doesn't matter what your ethnic uh, group is. What matters is, is by the blood of Jesus Christ who bled and died on the cross, he has made one body, one family. And today you are sitting in the room with relationships that were founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, we should celebrate that. Francis Chan in his new book, Until Unity, this is what he says. And man, this hit me. If you are willing, that's the case all across the room, to let the presence of the Spirit take precedence, you will find a much more diverse, beautiful family that God has made, not one that you have chosen. Our relationships are founded on the gospel. Their relationships were marked by love. Uh, he calls three different times, four times in this passage, he refers to some of them as his beloved. 
my beloved. Their relationships were marked by love. John 13, 35, very clear verse, and we use it a lot around here. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Uh, that's not a crutch, and that's not something you can get away from. How does the world know that you are my disciples? That you have love for one another. Uh, Jesus was very clear about this. All through Scripture, it is the mark of discipleship. If love is not marking who you are in Christ, you need to check who you are in Christ. Because it's one of the first things that take place in your life. Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 13 that even if you give your life to be burned at the stake and you have not love, it's nothing. So today they could come in here and march us out. And they could, they could stick us up on stakes out here in this parking lot. And they could burn you. And you could burn for your orthodoxy and not have love. And God wouldn't accept it. And there is people who die for their orthodoxy and they don't have love for the fellow brethren. And he says that you are marked with love. Uh, 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God... And everyone whose love is born of God and knows God, he who does not love does not know God. It doesn't get any plainer than that. God is love. That's what it says. 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death to life. Get, get this one. It wasn't a feeling it wasn't that, that all of a sudden some miraculous thing took place in my life and I was like, whoa, man, how do I know that I have passed from death to life? It's because I love you. So he says, because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. If we're honest, in churches all across America today, that should drive us to our knees. How does the church value theology? Because we, even in this room, even in our house here, uh, there are different theological views on some things. So how do we value, how do we agree to disagree? How do we hate sin? How do we fight for unity? And this may sound oversimplified to us, but it's one word, it's love. The reason there are divisions in the church, now please hear this. The reason there are divisions in the church is because there is a lack of authentic relationships that are based on love. If your love in this room is based because you signed a church covenant, you don't love. It should be based on the fact that you have an authentic relationship. In the church, we divide easily because we love shallowly. How is it that if I have the kind of love that passes me from death to life, do I run out of a church if somebody doesn't talk to me? Let's just get in everybody's closets for a second. In mine, too. I, I, I haven't figured it out yet. I haven't figured it out. I had somebody come to me one time and says, I'm not happy. I said, God didn't call me to make you happy. 
If, God, if, I, if my job is to make you happy, I'm in the wrong business. I need to be a clown. <laughs> and then people just leave. They just disappear. And, and, then they, and we know sometimes that they leave wrong because wherever they go, they take the baggage and then talk about you. That's not love. That's not biblical love. The kind of love where Jesus says in Romans 15, 7, accept one another the way that Christ has accepted you. We don't live that way, so it's easy to run out because we love shallowly. What if we treated our wife and our children and our spouses that way? That every time there was a disagreement, we just slammed the door and left. Be a bunch of homeless people around, a bunch of families without people loving them. Yet, in the church house, it's okay. These folks are marked by love. When you are deeply in love, division is unfathomable. And it is easy to spot real love. You know, sometimes people go, man, what does it look like? It's easy to spot it. I'm going to give you a verse that will help you spot it. You ready? 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all things. That means above all things, right? I'm going to give you a Greek lesson here. That's above all things. Have fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. You know what that means in the church? That means that even if that person has gossiped about you, that you have such a deep love for them that that love covers that and you still are in fellowship with them. That's why the Bible says that if you have a gift to bring to the altar and someone has something against you, before you present that gift, you are to go to them. It didn't say, now we use it as, well, if I have something against them, i got to get it right. No, if they have it against you, before you lay your gift at the altar, you're supposed to go to them. That's love. And that's the kind of love that we are to be marked by. Do you think Jesus ran around telling everybody every city he went into, Hey, I love my disciples. I don't think he did. I think everybody knew he loved them because of the way he treated them. So then the goal would be this in this place. Imagine walking into this room where everyone was thinking of others more important than themselves. Right? We, we're Baptist church now. Baptists are known for loving their seats. Right? I got Pastor Ken O'Boyan over here. I was part of a Baptist church one time. I'm not going to say the name of it. We had a concert. And in that concert, we had some visitors. And we had a lady that loved to sit on the second row. She had it marked because she had her Bible that she never took home. And she had her favorite blanket because she got cold. And there were some visitors sitting in her chair, in her pew. And she had the audacity to go up to them and say, hey, this is my seat. You need to move. What I loved about it is the band we had was loud. And the subwoofers were two double 18 sitting right in front of the second row. And I told her, I said, you enjoy yourself. They broke out the first song and her hair was backing up. And she got up and left. 
Are our seats more important than their souls? That's all I'm asking. How do we love one another when we think of others in the room more than we think of ourselves? It's when we really grieve together. That truly, if somebody's hurting, that we don't just say, Hey, man, I feel if you know that we painfully grieve with them. But also when they celebrate, that we're there to celebrate with them. How do we love like they loved is we don't talk about one another. Somebody comes to you and tries to just say, no, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to hear it. We don't judge. We don't compare. We don't talk about Paul and Apollos. We talk about Jesus. Amen. And that's who we talk about. That's who the focus is. Because he's the one that makes the difference. He's the one that changes lives. And that kind of love is just a gift and it's a power from heaven. But it's also the kind of love that the day you got saved, God put it in you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Third thing is their, rela their relationship was consumed by Christ. C.S. Lewis says, For the church is not a human society of people united by their natural affinities, but the body of Christ in which all members, however different, and he rejoices in their differences and by no means wishes to iron them out, must share the common life, complementing and helping and receiving one another precisely by their differences. We meet people who are different, not because of the way they dress, not because of their affiliation to a religious organization or by their strict moral code, it's simply by being consumed by Christ. The fact that Christ dwells in them and Christ dwells in you. He is the source of life and this dwelling it's not the idea of tools in a toolbox or clothes in a closet. It's the idea of a union. It's a connection. It's something much greater than what our idea of being dwell, be, dwelling with is. And the beauty of the first century church is they understood that by coming into a relationship with Jesus means coming into a relationship with one another. Because think about this. The day that they... Let me, let me back up. In America... Whenever we give the invitation, or you share the gospel with a friend, they can make the decision as the Spirit draws them to follow Jesus. And it doesn't cost us anything. But in the first century, and even in Afghanistan, we'll use it today, when those people feel the drawing of the Holy Spirit in their hearts to be saved. They wrestle, and they war, and they fight. Why? Because they realize that the moment they do it, they are on a chopping block. I witnessed to a lady one time in Ecuador for four hours. Her husband was a Catholic. She was, and I don't know if you know anything, but over there, they're pre-Reformation still, so the priests control everything. And this woman was like, I know what you're saying is true, and I want to be saved, but the moment that I get saved, first my husband's going to beat me, he's going to kick me out of my house, and the community is going to ostracize me, and I'll die on this mountain. This is in 2019, y'all. So for four hours we pleaded. We were having a church service that night, and we decided that we were just going to pray for her husband. And that night, she and her husband came to the church, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, her and her husband were saved. But they don't, 
they don't enter those things lightly. They don't walk into salvation the way we do. They don't grab a friend and go, hey, man, VBS was fun. Let's go get saved. When they do it, they know that it's going to cost them their lives. And that's why their union with one another is so tight because that's literally all they have. Their own families. I had a privilege of leading a Muslim to Christ a few years ago. A guy I spent a lot of time with. And his parents were still, they still lived in Jordan. And he was the only, now get this, the only Christian in his family history. And his parents were flying over to meet him, to see him. They hadn't seen him in a couple of years. And this dude fell head over heels in love with Jesus. And he calls me one day and he says, Man, my parents are landing at the airport. And I'm wrestling with the fact if I leave my Bible sitting out on my table. Because if I do, he says, they're going to walk in and they're going to walk out. And he says, man, what should I do? I said, man... How much do you love Jesus? He said, I, I give everything to him. And then he paused and he said, you just give me my answer. He went and got his parents and they came to his house. And for the first time ever, they listened to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they saw the transformation in their son. And they didn't get saved that day. And the reason I tell you that is because he was willing to give up everything. To follow Jesus. That's why there are unions. That's why they can say in Afghanistan today, hey, we may worship for the last time on this side of heaven, but we're good. They take it serious, y'all. They're consumed by Christ. It's not built up on anything other than Jesus Christ. And I love what this quote I found this week unknown source, but in the fellowship of those who are bound together by personal loyalty of Jesus Christ, the relationship of love reaches an intimacy and an intensity unknown elsewhere. Friendships between the friends of the Jesus of Nazareth is unlike any other friendship. And this ought to be the normal experience within the church. Where it is experienced, especially across the barriers of race, nationality, and language, it is one of the most convincing evidences of the continuing activity of Jesus among men. When we're consumed by Christ in this room, we will treat each other differently. And we will be in that union that only comes through Jesus Christ. And we won't look across the aisles at anybody being different. We will just say, hey, we're one in Christ Jesus. The fourth thing is their relationships were strengthened by suffering. Notice what he says with, uh, in verse 4. He talks about Priscilla and Aquila, and he uses the term, they risked their own necks for my life. Priscilla and Aquila was willing to die to help Paul out, and he talks to others about fellow workers and fellow prisoners and laborers. And one of the most encouraging pieces of Scripture, if you'll read it, is Acts 3 through about 8. When you start seeing the church being persecuted. And when the church was persecuted, they didn't run and hide. Next 429 gives us a great example of that. It says, now, this is a prayer that they prayed. They had been beaten and put in prison. And they let them out of prison. And this is what they said. 
Now, Lord, protect us and give us a safe journey out of this crazy town. No, that's not what they said. It said, Lord, look on their threats. Because they said, if you ever say the name of Jesus again, we'll kill you. Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants with all boldness that they may speak your word. What they pray for? Boldness. In the, in the midst of suffering, they prayed for boldness. And the Bible says that the place was shaken and, and the boldness came upon them and they went right back out into the streets and they started preaching again. And then you'll read in another passage of Scripture in Acts where it says that they took them and they, they bound them up and they beat them and they rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. The more they tried to stamp them out, the more they tried to persecute them, the more they tortured them, the more they killed them, the stronger they got. The more they tried to stamp out Christianity, and we're here today because those people were strengthened by suffering. They didn't flee. They didn't run. They were not soft. They didn't care about their comfort. Every time you read in Scripture that they were persecuted, the church grew. Yet our typical prayers is, Lord, keep us safe. Right? God, protect us. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray that. But that shouldn't be the dominance of your prayer. God, you're in control of my life. And Lord, whatever that brings, God, I'm going to rejoice because I get to have your name on my tongue. A sinner... It does not even deserve to say the name of Jesus. God, you allow that. The more they suffered, the stronger they became in their faith. Go read Torture for Christ. Richard Wormbrand, the founder of Voices of the Martyr. Go read his account whenever he was taken into prison. And the guy wanted to preach so bad. I just read this the other day. Wanted to preach so bad. Don't read this book, though, if you don't want to be challenged. They traded off being tortured to preach. And this is their comment. We would preach. They would come and get us, drag us down the hall, and they would torture us. They would bring us back bloody and beaten. We would pick up where we left off preaching. We were both happy. We got to preach and they got to beat us. That was their take. And then he says this, if your faith is destroyed by suffering, you don't have faith. They grew. And suffering for being a Christian is a foreign concept in the West. But we do suffer. And our suffering may look different than overseas. Our suffering may be a phone call that says, Hey, the news is not real good. And we have cancer. And we've all been touched by that. That's, that's suffering. But what does it do to your faith? Does it build it? Does it strengthen it? Or do you go, God, I don't... I'm mad at you. And God's okay. He's fragile. He's not fragile. He's faithful. 
You can tell him whatever you want to. He's going to listen and he's not going to break. And we know that Scripture is very clear. That when we become followers of Jesus, that suffering is something that we have and must expect. Peter writes a whole book about it. And although there are some preachers, and please hear me, there are some preachers, and I say preachers very loosely, that say once you get saved, you're never going to suffer. You better turn your TV off and run because they're heretics. There's no truth in that. Because the only time we're guaranteed not to suffer is when we're in the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven. But what does suffering do to you? Paul says this in Philippians. He says, I want to know him in the power of his resurrections, but I also want to know him in the power of his sufferings. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, great theologian, great preacher, stood against a, a very tough time during the communist reign gave his life for the gospel and for his country. He writes this in The Cost of Discipleship. We can rest in his promise that he has our best interest at heart. And when suffering and rejection come, we can obediently trust that our suffering is not an accident but a necessity as God lovingly squeezes out of us the things we might otherwise ignore or excuse. The sin, disobedience, and apathy that will get us flagged by security at the gates of the kingdom of heaven. Suffering has a purpose. Satan has a, a purpose in suffering, and that's to pulverize you. If his goal is to pulverize you, God's goal is to purify you. And no trial is wasted when God accomplishes his purpose in your life. And for the church, it's always, always, church history, it's always been suffering. Guess what? They have not been able, since the day Jesus said in Matthew that upon this rock I build my church, they have never been able to overthrow the, the church. And it's because of people like us sitting here today and people all across the world. They don't flounder. They pray for boldness. Elizabeth Elliot says this, I'm not a theologian or a scholar, but I'm very aware of the fact that pain is necessary to all of us in my own life, I think I can honestly say that out of the deepest pain has come the strongest conviction of the presence of God and the love of God. And I say to all of us today, this is, this is part of it. So this, this, this group, this, these people that Paul is addressing, that he is greeting, they were people whose relationships were founded on the gospel. What is your relationships founded on? They were marked by love. What marks your relationships? They were consumed by Christ. What is the central theme of your relationships? And then they're suffering, but it made them stronger. So that's what it looks like. And I say all that to say this. How, how do we here today respond to that? How do we live like that? How do we pray for that? How, how do we as a spiritual family that we're going to spend eternity with? And, and let me say this to you. This family sitting in this room that God's called you to is amazing. It, it's amazing because it is a, an, it's an eternal family. It's a, it's a faith family. 
And what the faith family can do is give you the boldness to go into your blood family and let heaven invade it by being a missionary into your own family. That's why we're here. That's why we need one another. And so the reality is, is how do we do that? And the way we feel like the best way to do that across this room is, is these community groups. And it's a necessity. This is not just something else we've thrown together to say, hey, we need another program in the church. We really believe that this is the way for us to live out what we just went through in Romans 16. That you would be a part of a group. That you would join a group. And that you would participate and hopefully one day would step up and lead a group. And there's some things that we talked about. We had training last night and there's some things that we talked about that we want to pour into this body. And that's one is that you would devote daily to a time of Jesus. You can't help others if you're are not connected to the vine. How can you feed others if you're not being fed? You know, you, you, how many has ever flown in here? You know the annoying thing that comes on sometimes about, well, if you lose cabin pressure and the masks fall out and oxygen's in those masks, but you make sure you put yours on first before you help anybody else. And I'm thinking, what an idiot. I'm going to make sure my kids have theirs on first. But then I got to thinking, I've never been in a, a cabin that's been depressurized. But it makes sense to make sure that you're breathing first so you can help more people, right? Well, then how can you help people get to heaven if you yourself are not being fed daily? How can you help counsel people if you yourself are not in the Word with the Word? And then pursue relationally. Men, all across this room, be devoted to one another. Get in a group and be devoted to that group, caring for one another, praying for one another, sharing with one another, all those things. And live authentically. Get close enough to people where you can share your hurts and your struggles and your sins. That you don't feel like you're going to be judged, but that you can pour that into them and know that they're going to pray for you and help guide you through that. And then be a part of a group that you can be admonished. The Bible tells us to admonish one another. We are called to correct one another in love and also be corrected. I have people in my life that will call me out if they see me straying. And I have been called out plenty of times. I can let you read my text messages if you want to. Counsel biblically. In these groups, we'll talk about counseling biblically. If somebody comes to you with an issue in their life, you don't need to say, hey, this is what I think. No, this is what the Bible says. And studying Scripture will help you counsel biblically. And then engage missionally where we, everything that we do, whether it be at home, whether it be at work, whether it be out somewhere, is that we engage missionally, that we get outside of our living room. And can I tell you, this is our living room. And when you start community groups, you're going to be meeting in homes. But get outside of that and go and serve. And there is an end goal. The goal is that everybody be conformed to the image of Christ. And that we do it by helping one another. You can't be that, come to that on your own. You've got to have, we told the group last night, Pastor Ken says this, you've heard him. Everybody needs a Paul, everybody needs a Barnabas, and everybody needs a Timothy in their life. Paul to teach you, Barnabas to encourage you, and Timothy for you to teach. And you need all three of those in your life at one time so you can work at being conformed and helping conform in the image of Christ. So there is an end goal. And that goal is to strive that we make disciples. So we're asking you, as we begin these 
community groups that you would jump in one and be a part of one. Don't be a lone ranger Christian because there's no such thing. You are part of a body and you are needed and you are wanted, right? So we're encouraging you to come and be a part of that. So what I want to do this morning is we had training last night. And we have some people who have committed to being leaders on this first part, this first session of small groups. And what we're going to do is at the end of this service, we're going to bring them up so you can see who they are. And we're going to pray over them, and we want you to go to them. We want you to be a part of their group. And if the groups get too big, we'll start splitting them. But we are encouraging the body to be a part of these community groups so that we can grow together in Jesus Christ. And who knows, Pastor Ken may write a book one day that says, greet this group and greet this group. Our names are going to be a lot easier to pronounce than theirs. Let's live out what they lived back then. Now let's do that today. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. God, I thank you that, Lord, you are above all. That, God, you truly are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And, Lord, today all across this room, Lord, I pray that, God, that your word has spoke uh, to the hearts. And, Lord, if there be somebody here today that is lost and without you, Lord, that today would be their day of salvation. God, in this moment would be their time. And God, they wouldn't turn a deaf ear to the Holy Spirit calling them. And Father, in this church house, and in this room, and in the, the people here who are saved that belong to you, God, I pray that, Lord, that they uh, are marked by love. And God, if there be something in somebody's heart in here today, uh, God, that's not pleasing to you, but is separating them from their brothers and sisters, God, I pray that that would be uh, made right today. Father, I just pray that, Lord, you would do a great and mighty work in our midst. Lord, I lift up this afternoon to you. God, I pray that you would, Lord, use us today not only to supply a need, but to, God, be able to share the gospel and meet the need, and that's salvation. So, God, we love you and we praise you, Lord, for everything that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org.